Welcome to the podcast of the L. William Crotty Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at the University of Dayton in the School of Business Administration. The following session has been recorded for personal and professional development of Crotty Center students, faculty, staff, and those who are part of the entrepreneur ecosystem. On this episode, the director of the Crotty Center, Vince Lewis, sits down with Larry Connor, CEO of the Connor Group, to talk about his experience as an entrepreneur and any advice he would give entrepreneurship students. Good morning. Um, I'd like to welcome all the entrepreneurship students this morning. Um, we are here with Larry Connor at the Connor Group. We're going to talk to have a conversation with Larry today about his career, his success in business, uh, the current crisis that we're facing, as well as uh, some of the entrepreneurial traits Larry thinks you need to be successful. So we're going to jump right in, Larry, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background? So uh, I was born in upstate New York, uh, but we moved to Ohio when I was in the second grade. So I went to high school here in the greater Dayton area, went to Alder High School, good Catholic place, and uh, class of about 300, and I was 200 and something. And I'm sure if they were ranking people least likely to succeed, I might be at the front of that class. Yeah, I think I was in that same boat. <laughs> yeah. So, so after uh, high school, unlike a number of you who went and looked at different schools, I think it was very smart that you picked the University of Dayton, you had options. I did not. So at that time when I was going to college, if you graduated, which I barely did from high school, Ohio University had to take you. So that's where I ended up, uh, ended up going. And there, when you were a freshman, it was literally, look to your right, look to your left, half of you won't be here, because the flunk out rate was something like 50% in, uh, in the freshman year. Also, for you people, too, who maybe didn't start out as business uh, majors or entrepreneurial, majors, uh, have faith in belief. I was not a business major, did not really take business courses. In fact, I was an English major with a concentration in Shakespearean literature. So there's opportunity for, uh, for everybody. Uh, so um, our students just finished their micro companies. Um, they, we just closed them down yesterday. Yep. They were they made money out of 11 companies. We had eight that made money this year, um, and they're giving uh, half their profit to charity. Um, you know, and that's a real lesson in an entrepreneurial venture on a small scale. Yep. What was your first 
entrepreneurial venture, and then sure. how did that shape the way you think or run your business? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, as I thought about preparing for this discussion, in high school, during the summertime, uh, I wanted to work. Well, there weren't, like today, there weren't really very many jobs. So uh, a friend of mine, Mike McQuiston and I, started a painting company. And in fact, uh, today, uh, uh, Mike uh, was a senior partner here at the, at the firm. We didn't know anything about painting, by the way, but we were customer focused and quality focused. And as a result of that, uh, it was a struggle, like any startup is. Uh, but we found some people who would give us an opportunity. We did really good job, and we started to get referrals. So networking, word of mouth. And by the third year, we had uh, three employees besides ourselves. And when we basically started the summertime, we had work for the entire year. So. That was the first uh, business. When I was in college, I actually had multiple businesses that I started and, and operated. And then if you kind of reel forward, and if you want to talk about this, we can. Somebody asked me about eight or 10 months ago how many businesses we've started. Leave aside the high school and college business, we've actually done eight startups over the last 35 year period of time. Seven of them have been very successful. One was not. Yeah, which one was not successful? So, in 1981, I got into the microcomputer business. That was in the very early stages of microcomputers. Apple had come out, and IBM had come out in 1981 with theirs. And so we were actually based in uh, Central Florida, in Orlando, Florida. We had operations throughout the central part of the state. We grew the business uh, significantly, but we didn't really know what we were doing. Margins got compressed, competition was fierce, uh, technology was changing every four to six months, and in my mind, it probably shaped the foundation for future success. I will tell people that we got a PhD in making mistakes and learning what not to do. And then ultimately, we closed the business in, in 1990. All the money that I had, I lost. All of our investors' money, we uh, lost. We did not go bankrupt, but uh, we went out of business. Um, some of our, we had three of our companies that, in our micro companies mm -hmm. that failed this year. Yep. And I often tell students that the ones that fail probably get the best lessons. Is, is that how you viewed this Completely experience? Completely agree. Failure is the first step to success. Show me someone who has not failed, and I'll show you someone who probably hasn't done much. Show me somebody who's failed and not learned anything, they're probably going to continue to fail. But show me somebody who has failed, learned, and moved forward, I'll show you somebody who's probably successful. Mm -hmm. 
Let's, let's move on to the Connor Group a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're here in this incredible facility in uh, uh, mm -hmm. Dayton or south of Dayton. Um, tell me a little bit how, I mean, looking at this today, I'm sure this is not what you envisioned or maybe it is what you envisioned um, when you started, but how did you get the Connor Group started? What was, your, what was the impetus behind getting it going? Yeah, so it was the early 90s, 1992. As I said, we had just uh, closed the computer company. And I had always had an interest in real estate investing. And we thought that we could bring a different model. All of the business practices, systems, processes, procedures, how to recruit talented people that we had learned in the computer business and prior businesses, we thought we could apply to the real estate industry and specifically the apartment sector. Because if you think about apartments, they're like any other operating business. They have sales, they have service, you have people, you have customers, you know, you have expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what we did. Uh, I started it with two other individuals and none of us were from the industry, so we weren't trapped by what the industry had always done. So essentially, we took the rule book, tore it up, and built our own rule book. And we did our first acquisitions in, uh, in 1992. And as you can see, it, today we operate in 14 major cities around the United States. Uh, we have about 25,000 residents in about 12,000 uh, uh, apartment units. Across the country. Have you done international stuff? No. no, no. Nothing international? Ours is strictly a domestic strategy. We have thought briefly about international, but there's too many opportunities here domestically. There's no reason to go, uh, to go international. What do you think is the key to the Connor Group's success. What, what types of core values do you really hold true to? Yeah, so we would tell you that it's culture and it's people. And so we encapsulate that in what we call our core values, and there are five. And the first one is do the right thing in everything you do. Number two is people count. Don't just say it, do it. Third is relentless pursuit of excellence in everything you do. Fourth, think long-term versus short-term. And then fifth is this management leadership strategy that we call circle of success. We are big planners. And so if somebody asked me about success in this business or any, we would say it's the three Ps. Number one is you got to have the right people. Number two is you got to have plans, business plans, strategic plans. By the way, they don't have to be overly complicated. In fact, we believe simplicity is brilliance. And then the last thing is you need the right processes. Mm -hmm. So people, plans, processes. Yes. Um, 12,000 units, is that what you said, roughly? Yeah. 25,000 residents Correct. Uh, around the country. That's a, quite a big portfolio. That's quite a big, big portfolio. How do you, how do you build that? Yeah. And so this is an interesting discussion. Most people in the industry only think about growth in terms of size. Mm -hmm. 
hey, if I've got 5,000 units, I want to get to 10,000. If I've got 10,000, I want to get to 25,000. Our thinking is different. Uh, if you ask people in the industry, they'd tell you we're, we're real outliers. So we think about it in terms of transactional activity. In fact, we'll show you a slide here that rather than trying to grow by size, we've grown by transactional activity. And what is transactional activity? It's really simple. What are we buying in terms of apartment communities? What are we selling and what are we refinancing? Mm -hmm. So, and we came up with this model about a decade ago and changed kind of what we were doing. And actually at that time, back in 2009, when we started to change the model, we were at 19,000 units. Keep in mind today we're at 12,000. But in 2009, we were only doing about $150 million in transactional activity. Again, buy, sell, refinance. Mm -hmm. If you look at last year, we did 1.1 billion. Mm -hmm. So the interesting model is we're able to shrink the number of units in apartment communities, mm -hmm. but grow by some 800% what really counts. Mm -hmm because we are a for-profit business. And if you said, well, where really is the profit? It's not actually in day-to-day -day operations. It's buying really good businesses, which just in our case happen to be apartment communities, do it the old-fashioned way, significantly improve the bottom line, and it's worth more. And then you turn around and you either sell it or you refinance it and give your investors back their money. Talk about some of these other businesses, because I know you've been involved in some other things other than just um, residential real estate. Yeah, so, you know, we've run the gamut. Uh, some of you may know Newcomb's Tavern down in the Oregon district. Well, I and another fellow were the people who started that back in 1978. And uh, the business was extremely successful. By the way, we had no money, and I'd never run a bar or a restaurant. In fact, the only thing I was really qualified to do, I'd been a busboy and a dishwasher. But we didn't think that that should stop us. We thought we knew what the customer wanted in Dayton. It turned out to be true. So uh, we owned that business for a couple of years. Our investors got 120% return after two years, but I didn't like the business. And I don't think you should ever be in a business that you don't have real passion for. So. Uh, we sold the business and uh, moved on from there. In fact, that's when we got into the computer business. Uh, most recently, uh, we, we just sold a business called First Billing. And First Billing is what they call FinTech. It's essentially online payment processing. Mm -hmm. And the history of that business was, back in 2003, we developed our own software for payment processing at our apartment communities, specifically water, sewer, trash. And uh, we started that business with a $50,000 investment. Within 48 months, it had free cash flow of 1.2 million. But we designed and built the software so that we could take it into another vertical market. So real forward to 2012, we decided to go into another vertical, which was uh, billing for 
small and mid-sized municipalities their water and sewer. It's not a very sexy business, but it's one that had a real need. And uh, as you can see from the chart that we're showing, you know, I and my partner, Pat Dorsey, we thought, you know, we start a lot of businesses. We kind of know how to do it. You know, we'll probably lose money the first year and then we'll break even and make money. Not true. So we started the business in 2012. Three and a half years later, we're at 2015. Uh, our burn rate, we have burned through four and a half million dollars of cash. We were losing $150,000 a month. So, and this, this is true in most businesses you start, you reach certain critical inflection points. Mm -hmm. And we were at a big inflection point. Do we shut this thing down or do we take the very difficult steps? Not unlike what you, you'd have to be doing right now for most businesses. We chose to make very difficult decisions. We restructured the business uh, dramatically and quickly, but with thought and planning. Ten months later, the business was making money, and about 15 months ago, we sold uh, the business to a private equity firm for $57.5 million. So, so you talked about a little bit about um, you know, what's going on in business today and what business owners are facing today. Um, in, in teaching strategy, one of the things we talk about at UD, this type of event, we would call it a black swan event, right? And th that's a term that was coined by a Wall Street trader finance professor during the recession in 2008. So look at this type of event, um, this type of a big event that's impacting everybody. Um, what should business owners be thinking about and doing today um, in this environment? Yeah, so this is clearly a black swan event. We're fortunate that we've been through other black swan events. And so if someone was to ask my opinion, I would tell you that it's about mindset. It's about how you approach it, how you think about it, how you calmly identify the problem, and then most importantly, focus your time and energy on solutions. So when we think about these things, we just don't think about today or tomorrow. Yes, we have to be concerned with what's happening in the moment, but we never forget to think long-term. And in all of these situations, there is opportunity. The challenge is, Vince, you have to find it. And many times there's blind spots and you can't really see it. So I would really encourage business owners is, yeah, deal with the moment, but find the opportunity. It's out there someplace. And keep searching for that till you find it. And then, and then, and by the way, we don't want anybody to suffer. We don't want people to end up in hospitals. God forbid we don't want people to die. But it is the reality that we're faced with. And so you can make it to the other side and you can come out stronger but you have to approach it correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think mindset is, is a key. You have to focus in on, okay, what is my goal? Where am I headed? And, and stay focused on that. 
as you try to move the business through it. And that's true, and I, I, would, I would give you one follow-up thought. The key will be your employees, or what we call associates. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your team in the right mindset. And you've got to figure out how to move forward together. It will be, even if you only have five or 10 employees, it will be productivity through other people, all which are on the same page with the same mindset. You know, um, when I think about this and what's going on in the world around us today, I think about 45 days ago. 45 days ago, you know, my wife and I own a business, and in, in operating, I think most business owners, you kind of operate with a paradigm of the environment around you. Yep. Right? You know, we were looking at two to two and a half percent GDP growth, really low mm -hmm. unemployment, which meant that we had to be much more competitive in hiring and recruiting people. Um, you know, available credit, relatively easy credit to get, a lot of capital in the system, so a relatively positive outlook. And in 45 days, that's kind of been flipped on its head. So can you talk a little bit about um, the current business climate sure. and how things have changed partially in the last, say, uh, last two months, but also over the last 10 years? Sure. So let's talk about what's happening right now from how we view it. First, these are unprecedented times. You would probably agree with me that you or I have never, ever seen anything like this, okay? The reality is we have a recession. They may not make it official, but both nationally and internationally, it is a recession. And what you have to be very careful is fear and paranoia. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, whether it's online or with most media, by the way, doesn't make any difference whether it's on the left, right, or center, they're dealing in a lot of fear and paranoia. Uh, our view is you should not underreact, but don't overreact. Try to right react on it, okay? And so how we look at it now is not only looking at our businesses, which are significant, but we also invest in other businesses. So we're looking at it in terms of short recovery, medium recovery, and long recovery. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, some businesses, uh, actually apartments, it's a fundamental business. We are open and operating right now to serve our residents and really focused on doing that. Ours should be a relatively short recovery. Uh, medium kind of recovery. Well, that could be, let's say for example, some restaurants, maybe not all, but some, will be in a medium recovery, which we think will be anywhere from six months to 12 months. And then there'll be long recovery businesses. For example, the perfect is cruise lines. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody is gonna be flocking to get on cruises here in the next six or nine month period of time. So depending upon where your business honestly lands in those areas, is how you need to respond. But again, I would emphasize that adversity creates opportunity. Actually, you and I in the past have talked about disruptive innovation. 
Well, this is a very, very disruptive time. But if you can identify that, figure out how to manage through the short term, then in almost every case, there'll be opportunities to take advantage of long term. Yeah, and I think especially business model innovation ten tends to come from major disruptions. Um, you know, we tend to, if you, if you think through um, like socio-cultural trends um, and what's going on in the world today, I think we're actually as a society learning how to be a little more efficient with our time mm -hmm. um, and leverage technology more that we were just in habits of not using prior to this particular disruption. So I think that's, uh, that's a good point. I, I, I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. One is kind of looking for opportunities, keeping the right mindset, mm -hmm. identify the problem, um, all of those types of things. What do you think, what are the, the big obstacles business owners need to watch out for in this environment? What do they need to be thinking about? Well, what we think about is associates. Because in our opinion, the most valuable asset you have is your people. So what are you doing to help them? By the way, it depends upon your business and what you can or cannot do. Fortunately, we're an essential business, so we're still open. Uh, two, we have significant financial wherewithal. So a couple of things we've done is, we went out and said, we're not gonna lay off one person. By the way, you still need to do your job, so it's still performance management, but we're not gonna lay anybody off. Two, we made absolutely sure that if you needed to take time off, sick time off, uh, whether you had to self-quarantine or wait for testing, that we were gonna pay you for that time off and it was not gonna count against vacation or sick pay. Next, uh, we doubled down on our people and in investing in them through uh, bonuses, whether it's sales, service, or whatever sector you're in. Lastly, uh, we have a number of associates, I think it was 92, we have about just shy of 400 people, about 92 of them, uh, their, their uh, kids are not in school and they didn't have daycare. We're paying for every one of those 92 people either for in-house care or for daycare. Lastly, we have a loan program that we kind of doubled what people are eligible to borrow over a six month period of time at zero interest. People will not forget. People will not forget what you did or did not do for them. And leadership really matters at these points in time. So that's what I would say to, to businesses. You also have to do financial planning. And you've gotta be realistic. This is difficult, by the way. So what we did was, we had financial plan A, financial plan B, and financial plan C. I will tell you financial plan C was based upon Armageddon. I don't think we're gonna to get to that point. But we took a very realistic look and said, okay, what are we gonna to need to do? Either in terms of uh, expense savings, capital investment, reduction of capital investment. So it, it, it kind of ties back to what I talked about earlier. People first and then have a plan. If you do that and then lastly you focus on your customer, you'll find a way to get through this. And I think you're, you, you had a comment in there and I, and I just jotted down a note, character counts. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that um, once this storm passes, and once we get to the other side of this, 
um, crisis, both the, the health crisis and the economic crisis. I think the way you reacted, if you're a business owner, the way you managed your business through it, taking care of your employees, taking care of your customers, um, I think that will really be, um, I, I think that that will really be a defining moment in your business and a defining characteristic of your business as you go forward. I think that's an important piece of it. So if you look at the economy, you talked a little bit about short-term, medium-term, long-term mm -hmm. recessions. You know, we would, we would call it V-shaped or U-shaped or L-shaped yep. or whatever, whatever the analysts want to call it. Um, many are predicting that we're in a recession. What do you think this means for businesses today? We would tell you that it's not a V-shape. Uh, it's, it's a V on the first half going down. <laughs> yeah. But then is it a U, is it an L? Uh, remains to be seen. We think it's very sector dependent. Yeah. Some will recover quicker than, <clears throat> than others. But, but again, you come back to fundamentals or what we call anchor points. And anchor points are gonna be, for example, you said, you know, we talked about leadership. Leadership will really matter. And in our opinion, you have to lead from the front. That's why I'm out in the field. I was in Tampa two days ago. I was in North Carolina uh, last week. I'll be in Denver and Texas uh, uh, next week. So. Your actions will either create and enhance your company's culture or, or uh, it'll denigrate it. Mm -hmm. And so in our mind, it's about making the right you know, uh, choices and focusing on what you can control. Many times people are reactionary businesses and they get you know, kind of uh, distracted by all the events, some of which are very significant going on around them. We, we would encourage you to focus on what you can control and focus on how you make the next step forward. Do you think that's a, that's a mistake in this climate that business owners make is they, they don't focus on what they can control. They, you know, they look at all the information out there and then they just they freeze up or panic or um, what, other big, yes. what other big mistakes you think? Yeah, that's absolutely. We're, we're from the uh, Japanese belief uh, that uh, the Japanese were really famous for pioneering that you should spend 10% of your time on the problem and 90% of the time on the solution. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately right now in talking to some, not all, business owners, they're spending way too much time in the moment talking about the problems, and they are serious. They are very, very serious. But that's not gonna help you solve it. You, you've gotta come up with a plan. It may not be a perfect plan, but at least have a plan and start moving forward and drive that theme with uh, your, your employees and with your customers. And that kind of goes back to your comments about a financial plan and I think that that's key for a business owner right now is you need that short-term financial plan what do I need to do to get through the next 8, 10, 12 weeks you know five months six months um, and then what are the other opportunities that are out there that I need to be paying attention to are you doing anything different is the Connor group doing anything different today um, in the current crisis yes 
So I went through some of the things we're doing for associates. Mm -hmm. We have some other things that we're going to be announcing that we're going to be doing. Uh, but in terms of our customers, which are our residents, we really focused on what we call resident retention and doing a number of things on that. And we're seeing really, really good results. We're also working with at about a half a dozen of our apartment communities. We have significant retail because it's kind of what they call a mixed use development, lots of apartments. And so what we're doing is our approach is, is individualized. And so we're saying to those retail people, be honest with us, be open, be transparent. And we're going to find, if you have a need, if you have a true need, we're going to find a way to work with you. And in some cases, those will be loans. Some cases, those will be rent forgiveness. Uh, some will be delaying and help them come up with, uh, you know, with plans. So, so uh, yeah, we're doing different things on different fronts. Okay, okay. So I'm going to pivot here a little bit because, um, you know, the Connor Group's a very successful business. You're a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, I'd like you to tell the students a little bit about what you think are the key personality traits that make a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, so, so by the way, we don't think it's intelligence. We think there are what, what you aptly call personality traits that really spell the difference. And the number one thing that we talk about is grit. And what is grit? It's passion and perseverance, okay? Because you are going to face obstacles. Two, dedication, stamina. Do not become a business owner, an entrepreneur, if you're not willing to work hard. Three, mindset positive, can-do attitude. You need some focus and discipline to follow your plan, to follow your processes. Uh, vision, you gotta have a vision, no matter what business you're in. You gotta be able to look out into the future. You've also gotta be inspirational. I don't care if you got three associates or 3,000. You gotta be able to inspire people. Yes, people work and they need to make money, but there's a higher calling for really talented people. Really talented people want to be part of something special. You know, you need to be an achiever. You need to say, look, I'm going to increase my sales 25% or 100%, or I'm going to increase profitability. Uh, you need leadership. We've talked about that. It's an interesting theme. I think in almost every question you've asked me, we've ended up touching on leadership. Leadership matters. And then we would say two other things. You need to be an initiator. Like in this crisis, you need to initiate action. And the last thing we talk about is in, in any entrepreneur, any business owner needs to have persuasion. You need to, whether it's customers or banks or investors, persuade people to your way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those are really the keys that we talk about in the classroom. Passion. You know, if you're not passionate about it, you'll quit because most of us are sane. And uh, persistence and, and, and patience and, and all of those types of things. Um, what other key things should, because if you ask the class, if, you were, if they were sitting here with us, sure. 
you know, 80% of the students would, if you said, do you want to be a business owner, 80% of the students would raise their hand, yes, at some point I want to mm -hmm. be a business owner. So other than those personality characteristics, yep. uh, what other things should they be considering if they want to own their own business? Well, find something that you can see yourself doing long term. Do not go into it just for the money. Don't go in and say, oh, well, I'm going to start this business, I'm going to buy this business, I'm going to try to become a millionaire, I'm going to quit. You're doing it for the wrong reason. Do it because it's something that you can see yourself every day getting up and, and, and wanting to do. By the way, I didn't say every day was going to be great or perfect, but, but I think that's really, really important. The other thing that's important is find a mentor get advice, have someone else look at it. For example, if you love to work out and you go, boy, I'm gonna open a gym. Well, the reality is that's actually a really bad business to be in yeah. and very, very difficult to make money at. So I get that you really like that, but what are your chances for success? And I know in prior classes that I taught at UD, I talk about the risk to reward ratio. So what you really want to do is try to find a business where you can limit and quantify risk, but that you got a lot of upside. That's that managed risk piece. Many times when I meet with classes outside of the business school, mm -hmm. um, non-entrepreneurship classes, many many times people will be like, well, entrepreneurs are just these massive risk takers. And I go, oh, that's not necessarily true. Not accurate. S successful entrepreneurs are managed risk takers. They completely agree. They, they look at it and they know their downside, say, can I live with that downside and can I make it work? So Very good point. Um, another thing that I've noticed in, in the environment today, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are doing things to give back. And it seems to be an extremely important part of uh, being a business owner, being a successful business owner, you know, you, you provide jobs, you support organizations. Can you talk a little bit about, you have sure. a very active foundation, kids and communities, can you talk a little bit about that and about this idea of giving back? Yeah. So we believe that if you've been fortunate to be successful, you have both an opportunity and an obligation to help other people. And so that's what we've done. Uh, there's lots of good callings. We focused in on disadvantaged kids in the communities where we operate. And we're not believers in just writing checks. So we actually kind of blew up the concept of a foundation and we call it Kids and Community Partners. And so we want to take good programs and help make them great. And we built kind of a revolutionary model that there's measurements and metrics and outcomes and anybody that we make a philanthropic investment in, by the way, yeah, it's still a donation. They're not going to pay us back. We need to be sure that we're aligned on how we're going to leverage that to help the most amount of kids for the dollars in, in invested. And so that's our primary reason that we started this over a decade ago. And yes, it's gotten to be very, very large and will continue to expand both on a local, regional, and national kind of basis. Here, here's the other reason why I would say to people that they should really consider doing this when they can. 
is that all of your associates or investors or whoever are watching and character and doing the right thing really matters. And if, again, you're fortunate that you've accumulated some wealth, sharing that wealth with people makes a difference. And so we've had a phenomenal response from our associates and our investors about some of the philanthropic things we've done. Yeah, I like the comments about opportunity and obligation. And I think that, that you see that a lot with successful business owners, whether it's a, a, a million dollar business or a hundred million dollar business. Um, and I think that that not only inspires um, the employees um, and it's, it's a leadership function, right? I think True. it also helps to inspire the community and, and those around you. So I think it's uh, well worth the effort. So I want to, you have any closing comments, any closing thoughts? There will be, uh, in each of your lifetime, a few dramatic inflection points. This is one of them. And even though maybe you're not actually in the arena, so to speak, you can learn a great deal by all this adversity and turmoil. So I would encourage you to, to capture that uh, learning opportunity and uh, no matter what the obstacle, keep moving forward. Well, Larry, thank you for doing this. Thank your team for getting this all set up. I really yeah. do appreciate it. I'm sure the students appreciate it. And um, uh, take care of yourself. It's great to see you today. Happy to do it. Thanks.